0: Morning, everybody. Pastor Stefan, it's great to be with you here today. Uh, Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to James chapter 1. It's on page 1721. So, for the previous five or six weeks, we took a little break from the lectionary. We're normally a lectionary following following church. Uh, But we took a little break for a few weeks. Uh, This morning, we're jumping right back in and we're starting a new sermon series which is taking us through some of the highlights in the epistle of James. James is a New Testament letter or New Testament epistle. Um, It was written by the Apostle James, who was also called James the Just, something I learned this week, James the Just. And as we go through this book together, I think that will become clearer and clearer to you why people who lived with this guy and immediately after him called him James the Just. Uh, He was a pastor and a leader in the church in Jerusalem in the first century, and he really made a name for himself. He was was an incredible person, a great leader, uh, a great man of God. He was a major advocate for social justice and for people on the fringes of society. Um, But he will forever live in the shadow of his brother because his brother was Jesus. He is the younger brother, I guess, biological half-brother of Jesus. His younger brother was the second person of the Trinity. How about that? I hope he had a good therapist. Uh, Another thing that James was known for, is known for, is that he is thought of as the most practical of all of the apostles. And so the whole point of his letter, of his New Testament epistle, is that um, faith isn't just something that we should have. um, It's something that we should put into practice. So he makes the case that um, if our faith doesn't work for us, if our faith isn't making a practical difference in our daily lives, he would say, then you don't even really have faith at all. You have something different than faith. So uh, we've titled this sermon series, Faith That Works, and the whole idea is that we want to give some answers to that, to some of those so what questions about faith, or some of those what now questions about faith. So let's take a look at the text. Let's have a read. James chapter 1, beginning at verse 17. Listen to God's word. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, And slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord. So don't merely listen to the word James says. Do what it says. In a way, this text deserves to just not even have a sermon attached to it, right? Just do what it says. Um, It's it's really quite obvious, uh, but there's a big difference between hearing something and hearing something, and believing what you hear, and then doing something about it. There's a big difference between hearing something and hearing something, believing what you hear, and then doing something about it. One of those, James says, is a good and pure religion, and the other, James says, is a waste of everyone's time. So often, people think about the Christian faith as being an intellectual exercise, that, it, that all of the Christian faith kind of happens up here, that it exists up here. What do we believe about this? What do we think about this? What is the Christian perspective about X, Y, and Z? But that's just not it, James says, that that's such a limited view of the Christian faith, it's such an ineffectual brand of Christianity. What good is it to say you think something and then to do nothing about it? What good is it to say that you believe something or believe in something and then to have uh, that thing that you believe in make absolutely no practical difference in your life whatsoever? It's truly meaningless. Any good and meaningful belief should have very practical ways in which that belief gets lived out in our lives, right? For example... Let's say I got a notification on my phone from my bank this afternoon that says that someone has deposited a million dollars into my bank account. Now, I know, wouldn't that be great? I would have to first make a decision whether or not I was going to believe that. The bank is closed on Sunday, so I'm going to have to spend a few hours figuring out, do I actually believe that? Let's say I do believe that somebody actually deposited a million dollars into my account and that I was, in fact, a millionaire. If I did believe that, that would make a difference for the way that I lived out the rest of the day, wouldn't it? I mean, my, my mental and emotional energy might kick up a notch or two. I probably wouldn't go out and buy a sports car, but it wouldn't matter. If I really believed that I had a million extra dollars in my bank account, that would make a huge difference in in, in the, the mental and emotional landscape before I even spent a dollar of the million dollars. Because I believed it. Maybe this is an even better example. Teenagers, maybe this will connect with you a little bit better since none of you, well, you're probably all wishing you're millionaires, but here. What if you had a crush on someone for a long time and then out of nowhere, your best friend comes running up to you and says, guess what? I just had a conversation with your crush and he, it turns out he or she has a crush on you. Whoa! Right? Now, You don't have to believe your best friend. But they're your best friend. So you're probably going to believe them. And you're probably not going to go out and buy that engagement ring like right on the spot. But for the rest of the day, there's going to be an uptick in your mental and emotional state, right? Because you believe that information from your your best friend, it's going to put you in a different mental and emotional landscape. You would show up differently even before you have a conversation to determine your relationship with your crush. The point is, a belief is really no good to you unless it makes a difference in the way that you show up. James says, don't just be a hearer of the word. Be a hearer and a doer of the word. Don't merely listen to the word of God and maybe even understand it maybe even believe it, maybe on a scholarly level. Maybe you're a biblical scholar. Maybe you have a Ph.D. in New Testament studies. James doesn't care unless it makes a difference in the way that you're going to live that stuff out, unless there's an uptick in your emotional and mental landscape. It doesn't really mean anything until there's a change, until it motivates you, until it it, uh, registers an impact in the rest of your life and you do something about what you believe. To read the book of James is to be reminded that as believers, and we call ourselves believers for a reason, okay? As as believers, we are seeking transformation. There's a goal here. There's, there's, There's a desired progression We are seeking transformation. We are seeking the renewal of our minds day by day. We don't want to be the same people tomorrow that we were today. And we don't want to be the same people the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that. And if we stand back and look at the last 10 years of our lives and we think, well, I think the same things, and I do the same things, and I act the same way, James would say, that's failure. We're looking for transformation here. We're looking for progressive development here. Stagnancy is death in the church. Complacency is death in the kingdom of God. So what does this transformation look like? Well, uh, James gives us a little list in verses 19 to 21. He says, these are the things that we should actually actively be changing into. I'm sure this could be a lot longer, um, but he's saying, we should become people who are quick to listen, Uh uh-oh, how's this going to go, slow to speak, Uh uh-oh, slow to anger, and people who are putting away all kinds of evil behavior. Okay, James, checkmate, we have some work to do. There is some room, believe it or not, for transformation. I think it's safe to say that the last couple of years, um, if these last couple of years have given us anything they they have given us a much more realistic idea of our shortcomings, right? As individuals and as communities. And I talked to my fellow pastors, they would say, as congregations, as a global society, we have a much clearer idea of our shortcomings. Uh, And as true as that may be, the one thing that many of us have struggled to find in these last couple of years is we've struggled to find an avenue to deal with some of those shortcomings. Okay, our our shortcomings are more obvious to to us than they were before, but what do we do with these things? What is our avenue to deal with these shortcomings? They might be pretty obvious to us, but what are we supposed to do about them? James gives us a pretty interesting way to deal with our shortcomings. So in verses uh, 24, 22 to 25, he gives us this example of looking into a mirror. And he says, he says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and then after looking at himself in the mirror, uh, immediately goes away and forgets what he looks like. Now, There there are some commentators who say that this little illustration that James gives us, that this person is is looking into the mirror, and when he looks in the mirror, uh, he sees a mess. He sees that his face is super dirty, and it's grimy, and and his hair is all over the place, and he's totally unkempt, and he's a mess, and he looks in the mirror, he's like, oh man, I really got to do something about that. And then he looks away from the mirror, and he immediately forgets that he's a huge mess. And so he walks around foolishly, and everybody's kind of looking at him. He's he's totally unaware of his foolishness. He's got all the self-confidence in the world. There are some people who interpret this mirror illustration that way. I don't think that's what this means. I think what James means with the mirror illustration is this. I think when this person looks at his face in the mirror, he suddenly sees who he really is. I think he suddenly and totally and truly sees himself as a child of God. He goes, whoa, whoa, I'm a child of God. And he looks at himself and he says, I'm beautiful. And he looks at himself and he sees someone who is redeemed. And he looks at himself and he sees someone for whom Christ came. And he looks at himself, and he sees someone through whom Christ's love flows. And he looks at himself in the mirror, and he sees all of the miracles that God sees when God looks at him, and then as soon as he looks away, he forgets all of it. That's what I think James means. When he looks into the, into the mirror, he sees the treasure that God sees. He sees everything that he is, everything that God sees in him. But once he leaves, he immediately forgets what he actually looks like, and he doesn't see God in himself anymore. And that's the tragedy. And so the implication here that James is making is that if only we could remember Right? And not just remember what we look like, but believe what we look like when we gaze into that mirror. And not just believe what we look like in an intellectual way. In a in a cognitive way, but believe in a real personal practical way that actually made a difference in the way that we lived our lives. If we could believe what we saw in the mirror constantly with our hands and our feet and our minds and our hearts and our souls and our psyches and everything else, it would change the way that we live. And it would change the way that we showed up in the world. We would behave differently. Just like somebody who got a text from their bank telling them that they had a million dollars in their bank account. If you believe that, it would change your day, right? It would change the way that you walk around. You wouldn't have to spend a penny of that many money, and it would still change you. Or behave like someone whose best friend just came running to them to say, Guess what? I have some news about your crush. Let's sit down. She likes you too. You wouldn't even have to talk to your crush. You wouldn't have to have that determine your relationship conversation. And it would still change the way that you felt about yourself and the way that you felt about your world. You would behave differently. We don't have to believe it. But if we do... It should make some changes in the way that we show up in the world and the things that we prioritize and we value. James is so helpful because um, the Bible can really kind of be kind of ethereal, especially Paul. Paul is super ethereal, right? He's he's very, very philosophical. James is like, tell me what to do and I'll tell you what to do. Okay, super practical guy. So it had me thinking that my sermon probably should be kind of practical too. Um, what are some practical things that we can do to make some improvements in the way that we believe? And when I say believe, I'm not talking about up here. I'm talking about down here. So it occurred to me, we should probably have more mirrors. Right? If when we're looking into the mirror, into James's mirror, we're seeing ourselves correctly, we're seeing that we're good and that we're beautiful and that God loves us and we are the, gods, the ones that God has redeemed and we are the creatures for whom Christ has come and we are the ones through whom Christ's love flows. If that's what we see when we're looking into a mirror, we need more mirrors. What are the mirrors in your life? You've got to have a handful of them. You've got to. We need more reminders of the truth. What are the mirrors in your life? Where do you see yourself most clearly? What do you need in your head to remind you how and what to believe? Here are some examples from some people whose minds I picked this week, some of whom are sitting here. One of the most popular mirrors, songs, hymns, spiritual songs. Somebody told me, you know, when I get just the right hymn in my head, it makes a difference in my day because it tells me the truth over and over and over again. It's a mirror to look into. Another uh, person told me they'll pick a, a single verse from the Bible, just like even five or six words, and they'll use it kind of as a mantra all day long, just as a little mirror a little mirror to look into every five or ten minutes. Another person told me, she said, when I spend time with healthy people, they hold up a mirror for me, and I see who I really am. Another person said, when I get busy doing things for other people, I know more about who I am. And I didn't say that to the person this week when they told me this, but I, what, I, what I should have said was, you know, there's this guy named James, and that's just exactly what he says. Because this, James says, this is religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless. And you know, if you, I, if those, I know those Bibles aren't yours, but you may feel free to underline this, Okay. This is religion that God our Father finds as pure and faultless to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Whoa! Where did that come from? To look after orphans and widows in their distress is the religion that God our Father finds pure and faultless. Now that's practical. You say, why, why widows and orphans? Well, one reason is James is really practical, so he wants to give you two examples. The, others, the other example is, especially in the Jerusalem church where James was pastoring in the first century, the people who were most socially vulnerable were those who did not have working aged men to provide for them. It's just the way that society worked at that time. If you didn't have a working-aged man to provide for you, you were in trouble. You might not eat. And so who are those people? Who are the people on the the social fringes who are at most danger of going hungry? It's orphans and widows. So religion that God our Father finds most pure and blameless is providing for the needs of those in the social fringes I find that fascinating. Now, I also find that ironic. <laughs> because if we're focusing all of our religious energy on the on the orphans and the widows, then why don't we, we're gonna run out of time to look in the mirror, aren't we? We're going to run out of time to, 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 to take care of ourselves and to take care of our own and our own families and our own congregation and our own needs, right? No, 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 no. That's the irony of, of James's mirror. Is that it's the opposite of vanity. The more you look into this mirror and the more that you discover who you are in the eyes of God the Father, the less and less significant your own needs become. You go from being self-righteous and vain to being self-forgetful and humble. It's a mirror, the gospel is a mirror, that works in just the opposite way. Instead of making you more and more focused on how you look and how you're perceived, it makes you more and more focused on who are the orphans and widows around? And what an incredible relief it can be to just not have to care so much about how you look anymore. The deeper and deeper we look into the mirror that God gives us in the gospel, the less and less focused we become on ourselves. And the more and more free we become. It's liberating What do you see when you look into James's mirror? What are the most effective mirrors in your life? How many mirrors do you have set up for yourself to run into on a daily basis? This might be something, I mean, we're getting super practical. If you have to get your planner out and, and make some time to look into some mirrors, you better do that. And where might God be sending you to put your faith to work? Pray with me. We thank you, God, for opening your word to us today and for the bold and challenging things that we find there. God, rather than looking into our mirrors that make so much of ourselves In our appearance, and how we are perceived, let us look into your gospel mirror, the mirror that Christ has given us, so that we might find the blessed gift of self-forgetfulness, and that we might become more and more attuned to the needs of those around us. God, give us a faith that makes a difference. Give us a faith that works. And as we find joy in that faith, may we always bring glory to you. Take our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.